Kia ora. Where do you store random objects of potential practicality? The batteries, plasters and paper clips you accumulate in life. This podcast is pretty much that place. You have opened the audio drawer. Here we're hoarding recordings for New Zealand Baptists. Because one day... This episode could be just the thing. Four emerging leaders, Fiona Beals, Colin Gretzmacher, Jenny Akibel and Sarah Rice, share what they think the world we are about to do ministry and mission in will look like. This is The World We Are About to Live In, a recording of Charles Hewlett interviewing this panel at our Baptist National Hui 2019, Kia Tupu Whakaritorito, Positioning Ourselves to Thrive. I love Jesus. Okay? That's what I'm about. I have no other agenda for our movement than Jesus and him bringing renewal to people and places in our land. Okay, so that's me, so nothing more. I want to see our faith communities thrive. That's the picture I have. Uh, the Baptists being a movement of faith communities throughout our nation that are thriving for the purpose of bringing renewal to people and places. That's what I'm about. That's what drives me. What do, what do I mean by a thriving faith community? I, don't, I haven't used the word church, have I? Thriving faith communities. It might be our churches. Yeah, we want our churches to be thriving. There are, there are new faith initiatives, new community initiatives happening. Um, we have chaplains. We have people in schools. We have, we have shops that are open. We have amazing cafes. We have, we have missionaries all over the world. Faith communities that are thriving. And, and that's the picture I have. Of, of a movement of faith communities thriving for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you may have seen this little slide, and this is because I'm so simple, but, but for me, when I think thriving, just so you know, just so we're on the same page, what does he mean? What does a community that's thriving look like? Well, I reckon they've got to have good leaders, just robust leaders. To me, that just means they love Jesus. Oh, they know how to teach the word, but they love Jesus, and they know how to give up their rights for the rights of others. Robust leaders, growing disciples, thriving faith communities where people will be growing in their love of God and their neighbor. They'll be more open to the Holy Spirit working within them. They'll be more willing to take risks for Jesus today than they were yesterday. To me, that's, that's a thriving faith community. They, they'll be about growing disciples and, and, and healthy resources. You know, I've traveled around the country a bit, and I know, you know, you churches, you tell me, your biggest issue is how you're going to fix the roof. You know, we, 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 we've got to get our resources. We've got to help with our resources so we can get to the main thing, Jesus. And then I believe a thriving faith community will be involved in effective mission. That's the DNA of the Baptist movement. Mission, mission, mission. Bringing reconciliation, bringing renewal to people and to places. So to me, when, when you hear me talk about, oh, I want to I wanna be part of a movement um, that we're made up of thriving faith communities, now you know. Okay, that's what I, what I think. Now, now, all of you in this room, you belong to a faith community. You, most, many people here are leading faith communities. 
Think about your faith community. If you were to think about the next 12 months, which one of those four do you reckon should be the priority? If, if we are moving towards thriving faith communities, think about your faith community. Which one of those four would you say, hmm, okay, we've got to put some effort into that. And I, I, I believe that um, to see this achieved, to, to, to see us become a movement of thriving faith communities, that, that, that we need to position ourselves well for the future. And, and that's what I'm keen for us to talk about over the next two days. Um, yeah, it's just a start. I've only been here for nine months, and I've got a lot to learn, but, but we've got to start positioning ourselves around a few things if we are going to be effective in bringing renewal. And so we're going to talk over the next few days about positioning ourselves around the issues of the future. Well, what are the issues that we have to be grappling with? We don't start grappling with them, we'll be left behind. Well, what are the issues that we must position ourselves around? What are the riches of our core values that we must position ourselves around? Very exciting. The core values of our movement, the Bible. Jesus, people, creativity. We, 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 we need to reclaim those, position ourselves around those. We're going to talk about the need to position ourselves with a workable structure. How might we look so we can go forward better? We need to position ourselves around mission, DNA of the movement. Mission, mission, mission. We need to position ourselves around our neighbourhoods. And we need to position ourselves around finances. So does that make sense? That's, that's, that's what, no, nothing else, no bigger agenda to me. I want to see people come to know Jesus. I want to see the communities in this land renewed, people and places, through the power of the gospel. That's it. I don't really want to talk to you about much else, actually. Yeah. But that's what I want to get excited with you about. And I want to see your faith community thrive. I want to help you. How can you thrive for Jesus? So, awesome panel of people here. Some of the new leaders in our movement. And, and, and we're going to talk together about positioning ourselves around the issues of the future. Just, just to start the conversation together. Um, what are the things that we should be grappling with? What are the emerging generations grappling with? What are the things that are important to them? What might the world look like that we are asked to do ministry and mission in in the years that are ahead? So um, let's, let's give them a, a warm welcome to, to, to be here. I, I've asked them to, to briefly introduce themselves to you, um, and so you get to know them a little bit. Um, Fiona... Um, do you, do you want to, this is Dr. Fiona Bill. Bill. Dr. Fee. <laughs> um, okay, um, so ko um, Paparoa Ngā Paimonga, ko Kawatiwi Te Awa, ko Mandarin Te Waka, uh, ko William Jeffrey Bills Tuku Matua, ko Christina Fountain Tuku Whaia, ko Fiona uh, Tuku Aingua. So um, I'm Fiona Bills. Um, I represent strongly over the hill. For those of you from Christchurch, um, the West Coast, Kawateri Bola, represent. Um, um, but I currently live in Wainuiomata in Wellington, which, according to my husband, is a bigger version of Reefton. 
and, and fellowship at the Wainui Mata Baptist Church. Um, I've, be, I've had 26 years in the youth sector, so I'll be talking a little bit into the issues facing young people. Kia ora, ko Popocatepetl, toku Maunga, ko Mississippi, toku Awa, ko Americans, toku Iwi, ko Minnesotans, toku Hapu, ko Gritsmaker, toku Whanau, ko Golden Sands Baptist, toku Wharekarakia, ko Colin, toku Ingoa. Tanakoto, 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 Katoa. Kia ora, everyone. Uh, my name is Colin. Uh, I am the pastor at Golden Sands Baptist, which got welcomed in mm. yesterday, which is mm. super cool. Mm. Uh, I am an American, obviously. Uh, I'm one of the few that have snuck out and found a better land here. Um, yeah, uh, so I'm the son of missionary parents. Uh, my parents are some of God missionaries, so I grew up in Mexico primarily. I worked with uh, Youth with a Mission for seven years in Europe before coming and training here in New Zealand to be a pastor. I have three kids, and one of them, my three-month-old baby Eden, is here somewhere, and she's super cute. You should go say hi to her. And I have a lovely wife named Haley, who's amazing and keeps us going. Yeah. Kia ora tātou. Ko ifite oka te maunga. Ko Niger te awa. No nimo aho. Ko ekibo te fano. Ko Jenny tokungwa. Kia ora everyone. My name is Jenny Akibo. Um, I'm Nigerian. Ibo is my ethnic group. I didn't put that in my paper heart. Um, born in the UK and grew up in New Zealand. Grew up in South Auckland in Manurewa. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Went to Manurewa High School and Green Meadows Intermediate. <laughs> um, and I go to Hills Church in Hillsborough. I have a background in international development, um, a huge passion for justice, gender issues, race issues. Um, and have recently started a Christian racial reconciliation group. Um, I'm running one up in Auckland. Sarah's running one um, out of her church in Christchurch. And its aim is really that the church will be a credible witness in the areas of racial justice. Kia ora. Kia ora, ko Sarah Rice Aho. Um, I have an apology that I don't know my pepiha, but on the 24th of um, November, I have a day where I'm going to learn it. Hmm. So I'd like to invite you after the 24th to ask me it, because I'm going to need lots of practice. Yeah. Um, so sorry, I couldn't learn it before here, but I think it's very important. Yeah. Um, and I'm a co-pastor at Papua Nui Baptist Church. Shout out hmm. to those who are from Papua Nui here. There's a big representation. Um, they, are, they are awesome. Um, and I'm originally from Zimbabwe, first generation Zimbabwean, and then moved to, who, who did a woo? Was there another? Hey, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought there's another <laughs> one of us. Okay. <laughs> um, and moved here when I was 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, welcome. Um, thank you for, for being here. Um, I'm keen that we'll have a chat together. Feel free to interrupt, you know, one another, and these guys <laughs> can listen in. Um, but uh, I, I'm wanting Baptist churches and our leaders to, to, to be well positioned for the future. Um, I'm keen to hear from you, um, have, have a bit of a conversation, um, share, well, what do you think the world that we're about to do ministry and mission in will look like? Yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe we can start, do you want to start us off, Fiona, with, with that one? What, what, what do you think the world um, we're about to, to, to live in will look like? Well, I can say instantly very scary, but I've been thinking about this and just mm. thinking about where um, a lot of my research has been, and that's been in the changing demographics of our world. Mm. 
And we know that um, in many countries, we've got a very large, and New Zealand's included, baby boomer generation that's coming close to retirement. But in many countries, we actually don't have enough population underneath to sustain them. Now, New Zealand's very, very different. We actually do have a population underneath the baby boomer generation to sustain. And the reason why is twofold. One, Pākehā families are having less children. Māori and Pacifica families are still having lots of children. And then we've got growing refugee and migrant families coming in and Asian families coming in. The face of New Zealand is going to change. In fact, they're saying that the youth population of New Zealand will be significantly ethnically different next year than it ever has been in the history of this country. Now, what concerns me as a sociologist is that our growing populations, our disadvantaged populations, our populations that have been stood on by the system for so many years, and we as a church have to respond to the disadvantage and the inequality that's in our community going forward mm. into the future. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, just to tell Tucker what you were saying, Sarah and I were discussing this um, the other night, and I think what you're saying, Fiona, is that um, what we take as given um, is definitely going to change. So we've had a, a given that, you know, there's a particular type of expert, um, you know, what he looks like, yeah. Um, yeah. that yeah. we assume yeah. is leading, you know, various institutions, including the church, and that needs to change because we've got the growing population change, but also because people are super dissatisfied with what that expert has produced. Um, and so if we want to be prepared for the future, then we need to look at who we assume should be our experts. Um, and particularly if we're really honest about wanting to reflect the fact that we are all equal before God, we need to not just say it with our mouth, but we need to demonstrate that we're all equal before God. And demonstrating that we're all equal before God means that some groups shouldn't be so entitled to expect that they'll be the experts. So that's something that we really mm. need to think mm. about mm. as we move into the future. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. 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 Kind of to dovetail on that, I think in terms of the givens, there's been a big given that um, the way that the world is going to flourish is through consumerism and industrialization. Um, and there's a, there's a great quote I like to tell people about, um, which kind of encapsulates the economic theory that's been. Um, that the economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction in consumption terms. We need things burned up, worn out, replace, replaced and discarded at an ever-increasing um, pace. And economists I read say that that never would have had as much traction unless the church had blessed it mm -hmm. and gone, oh yeah, consumerism is God's blessing. Awesome, let's, let's do this and let's make our mission focused on this too. And so you had this utopia vision of progress, of getting those behind coming ahead. But this next generation has heard the utopia narrative and sees a dystopia. So they're seeing the destruction, these kind of factories that are in poorer countries are creating on the environment, um, the amount of pollution it creates. Um, in Fiji, they used to just pump um, the waste into the, into the sea. And this was companies run by... Um, Western missionaries as well, so that's, that's something for us to think about. Um, and so the givens of what creates an economically fu functioning society is also changing. Um, and so young people are growing up seeing the destruction 
without the ideology and feeling they need to justify and defend the ideology, um, but are finding that the church actually doesn't have much answers to the dystopia because this consumerism has been so blessed. Mm. Um, okay. So we need to be yeah. kind of aware of that. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colin? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, man, I wholeheartedly, yeah, that's fantastic, <laughs> please. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with, with everything that's been said. I, I think as a pastor, the one last thing that I think a lot of us are incredibly aware of is just the shifting faith culture of our country. Um, you guys know as well as I do the statistics of those who are interested in religion, those who regularly attend church. Uh, what, this year, it's the first time that we're tipping over, you know, predominantly non-Christian as opposed to Christians or any religious m realities. And what it makes me think of is last night, Murray, when he was up here, he talked about kind of his years of ministry, and he talked about when he was here at Sprayden, there was this renewal movement God was doing amongst us as a, as a nation, right? That spread internationally, and the churches worked and responded in that. So thriving worked with cooperating with the renewal that God was bringing. But right now, what if we're not in a renewal space? What if we're not moving into a place of like lush valleys and you know plenty? What if we're moving into a place of desert? What if we as a church are moving into a place of exile? What does flourishing and thriving look, for, look like for mm. churches in exile as opposed to in the promised land? Where do we meet Jesus in the wilderness as opposed to just in Egypt? I think these are the, these are the realities that we're gonna have to face. So, our budgets are going to have to deal with that. Many churches are already dealing with that as we have less people coming, less people converting. It's going to be a whole shift as we have to figure out what thriving looks like when faith isn't a given amongst other people. Mm -hmm. I'd, love to, I'd love to throw our four images up on the screen. Yeah. We, we can see a screen at the back there, okay? <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw one of those at you each. And um, I'd love you to, to, to tell us what, because these are significant events from just 2019, hey? I'd love to hear, what, what, are, what are these events, what do you think they tell us um, about the future? Um, Sarah, do you want to start us off, off on this one? You, you take Greta, okay? Yeah, you to, yeah well, what, what, is, what is, I mean, that was, a, that was quite an, uh, an event, eh? And, and you know, all the, the schools that are, that are holding this, you know, the, 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 the young people striking around changing climate, what, what's, what's these events telling us about? the future. I think one of the things that's communicating that young people really care about this world. So yeah. um, they really care that things are becoming extinct. They care yeah. that they're not going to be able to see some things in 10 years. That's communicating to us a wonderful um, love, actually, for this world, which I think comes yeah. from God's heart. Um, we're also seeing the, that dystopia I was talking about, an unwillingness to continue it. And so they're wanting to stand against it. And they're young, so they might not be articulating the new vision. Yeah. Um, but they're saying that they don't want to um, have that legacy um, and live into that. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's something. And I think with the global kind of world, um, we're hearing more from indigenous people. So I know Greta is the pin-up here. Mm. But actually, it's indigenous voices that have led to somebody like Greta. And I wish that their voices were a little bit more... Um, yeah. So it also communicates to me um, that there's still quite a white privilege in this space. So 100 um, indigenous um, activists die each year. Um, and I have a, an app that tells me their names because I want to know. Um, but it amazes me that people know Greta's name but not their names. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's also showing us um, how angry people get mm. um, when 
what we have seen as quite an idol is challenged too. Um, yeah. She's challenging a, a system that, that is creating a lot of anger. Um, and we also see gender stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah. we're seeing what a lot of people see of a woman who can articulate herself. Yeah. Um, that's revealing a lot to us. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the key things I hear from, from young people is this world really matters and I want to be a part of making it a really good place. Yeah. And that, that's a good thing to learn from them. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Colin, maybe, maybe I could give you the um, Israel Falau one. I mean, that, that's... That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, wow, you know, the, the, the divided comments. And, you know, yeah, um, God help us, eh? What, what, you know, I mean, there's a lot happened this year, you know? I mean, yeah. not, not, yeah, yeah. You know, not just, yeah, just, just, you know, Huge concerns around, you know, if I say things, um, you know, is it hate speech and, yeah. you know, or, or, or the way I communicate? Yeah, what, what's it telling us about the future? Oh, oh man, good, good old Israel. Uh, look, I think, I don't want to go over, like, was it right, was he not right? In this room will be divided. Some of us just can't stand the guy, what he's gone about. Some of us see him as a really good person who's trying to stand for his values. Some of us like what he said but hate how he went about it. Um, to me, that's not necessarily the most interesting part of the conversation. What for me has been interesting has been watching that conversation spill out in the blogosphere, on Facebook, in the groups as we try and navigate sexuality in the 21st century. Um, and I think one of the huge shifts that I've noticed, and may maybe you'll have seen this too, is that I think for the first time, we as Christians, our views around sexuality are seen as immoral. Um, let me explain what I mean. So like in the 1950s, it's not new that the world doesn't agree with us around uh, traditional ideas around sex. So abstinence until marriage, um, kind of cisgender understandings. That's not new in the 50s. People didn't want to wait to have sex till they got married either. But Christians at that time would have been seen as prudish, maybe boring, uh, maybe lame, maybe like uh, naive as opposed to the cool things that are happening. But I think a shift that's happened is now our views are potentially seen as dangerous. Um, we have stories of the uh, camps where we're trying to like pray the gay out of people and that's led to serious trauma for some. Um, and then it's not even if you take sexuality out of it, just discussions around sex are really complicated. In our world now, I think to deny yourself, to deny your sexuality is seen as repression and any form of repression is unhealthy. And so for us to just go around and say you shouldn't have sex or you shouldn't be gay, we're not actually dealing with the deeper questions, which is, can I deny myself? Is denying yourself always harmful? How do you deny yourself without shame? And I think if we're going to try and engage with this topic well, we're going to have to really ha figure out how to bring Jesus' words of to pick up your cross and deny mm -hmm. yourself and communicate that to a culture that sees any form of oppression as sinful. Mm. Thank yeah. you. You, Martel, and Jenny. Um. I love that you asked the African about Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but, you know, uh, yeah but I guess um, from, from my perspective yeah. as Tawiwi and as someone you know who comes from a colonised nation, um, I think that this is really telling us that there is a huge dissatisfaction with the narrative that we have been told globally, um, a narrative that kind of preferences one, one group of people's history over another, and, you know, Ihumatao is important for all of Aotearoa. It's the site of the very first people to this nation. Um, yet, for some reason, we prefer some, you know, 
colonial house on a prairie as that being like a really important piece of history. So, so it's, it's questioning why is one history more important than another? Mm. Another thing also that we're seeing is that there's like a convergence of, you know, a lot of indigenous people groups around the world who are supporting one another and who are encouraging one another, you know, um, from Ihumatao to Mauna Kea to Standing Rock to, you know, things that are going on in the Amazon as well. People are saying actually enough is enough and um, we're not satisfied with, you know, like our stories being minimised, with our pain being minimised and being boxed as political. Um, whereas the real issue is just Jesus and hell insurance. So as far as the church, <laughs> as, as far as the church is concerned, you know, a holistic gospel is the shalom of everything. You know, it's the restoration of relationships with one to another, restoration of relationships with the whenua, with creation. Um, it's not just enough to put it over there because it doesn't concern you personally and mm. you happen to be in the majority. Mm. Another thing also is, is that this is bringing to the forefront a realisation, hey, actually, you know, scripture was written by an oppressed people who happened to be brown. And so it's quite helpful if we listen to oppressed people who are brown mm. in terms of helping us navigate what is scripture trying to say, yeah. what is Jesus yeah. trying to say. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, Fiona, I think I, I left you one for last. Um, you know, because... Yeah, we've heard a lot this year about youth suicide rates um, in our nation. I mean, what's, what's that telling us about the future? Um, you're going to have to try and keep me on my seat here. Kia whakato muri, haere, whakamua. I walk into the future with my eyes gazed on my past. Our youth suicide rates are the highest they've ever been now. Our suicide rates in general are the highest they've ever been now. Mm. The unspoken group, the elderly suicide rates. We top the world. I'm not going to speak into the future because I'm going to speak into the past. I'm a sociologist. And that means I need to see the big picture. And when I look at the big picture, I see that there was a particular year in our country where the youth suicide rates went from low to high. 1984. And from that point on, youth suicide rates climbed and climbed and climbed. And what's interesting is the institution in our country that is monitoring this is not the Ministry of Health, it's Treasury. And that stems back to stuff we've been talking about, consumerism and economy. We feed our young people a lie. And it's a real lie. We tell our young people you can be whoever you want to be. The jobs out there are limitless. The hope out there is limitless. You choose your destination. 1984 onwards, that changed in this country. And I go back further. The treaty onwards. The treaty was seen as a spiritual covenant between Tangata Whenua and the Crown a spiritual covenant. Missionaries went around this country saying that. I also stopped then at the 1970s and I say, why aren't we talking about the dawn raids? We have put on a cloak of shame on families. In sociology, we say there is a dream that we sell our children, a dream of what it means to be a successful New Zealander, American, African. There's a, there's a dream that we say, this is the New Zealand dream. 
but the reality is only one group of people have the resources to attain that dream. Only one group. Another group will go into a ritual to try and attain that dream. I, when I'm teaching this, I say, this is my mum, who worked her fingers to the bone, but never got anywhere and thought it was her own fault. Then we have another group of people who innovate to get to the dream. I call those the gang members. I also call them the Christians. We have another group that find that they, there's nothing at all that will enable them to get to the dream. And what do they do? They take it out with their fists on others, on the bottle, on child abuse, and we're top there as well, and on suicide. Then there's one other group that rebel altogether and say we need to live in an upside-down kingdom. That's the group I want to be in. Mm. Mm. When you think about these things, um, what, what does this mean for the local Baptist church, do you think? Um, you know, is there really a place for us in all this? Um, what, what, what's, what's our role? Um, Jenny, do you want to start us off on that one? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the non-minister will speak yeah. and say I mean, something uh, quite fantastical that might not be practical. Yeah. But, um, yeah, well, where, where does the gospel need to go, you know? Well, yeah. yeah where, where, well, like, we do have a place because God is moving and he's invited us to work with him in this, so mm. we definitely have a place. I guess it's a case of a, our posture. Um, it's not necessarily a posture that has the answers, but it's a posture, posture partnering with what God is already doing, which I think is really important. Um, another thing, if I'm to put a race lens on it, is really, I, I think, the posture of a triumphalist sort of empire-building type of language, I think, needs to change. Like, yes, we have the victory in Jesus' name, and yes, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but we need to be very mindful of our history, um, particularly in terms of, um, you know, receiving the gospel via Western missionaries and the fact that they did come on colonizer boats, and they did, um, you know, sort of have a bit of an obfuscation of a physical empire kingdom with the um, heavenly kingdom. I think we need to be mindful of that. And if God is calling us into localities and places, are we riding roughshod over existing churches that are already there um, with ministers that might be of minority background that we just kind of brush aside because God has called me to come and take this place for Jesus? Mm. So I think that it is... Um, really important that we look at our posture and our attitude. Another thing also that Sarah and I were talking about um, last night is this concept of everyone's invited to the table. And I think sometimes when we talk about challenging power structures and looking at, you know, having the voices on the margins speaking into the situation, those in power can tend to feel like they are being oppressed mm. when that's not necessarily the case. Perhaps you are losing a bit of privilege. It doesn't mean that you're being oppressed. There's room for everyone at the table, but for those of you who have been at the head, perhaps now is not your time to be at the head. Perhaps we actually need a circular table. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> Colin, do you... Um, yeah, I, I think there's a huge space for the local church in this. I, I, I deeply love the local church. I'm passionate about it with all of its faults and its quirks, and we're all imperfect, and we, we can't manage it. But to me, I, I see one of the gifts that the local church can bring to this is being able to have these conversations and work out these problems in local grounded communities. I think one of my fears, at least from, from my generation, the young people that I interact with, is that 
we're talking about these things, but we're usually talking about them online with uh, often incredibly polarized voices. And you can have really strong opinions in this group where it's all being ratified and echoed by everybody else who thinks the same thing. But what happens when you have to work that thought out in grounded local communities with people who don't think the same as you, with people who you're going to struggle with, the people that you have to love even if you don't really want to love them, who don't agree with your opinions. Um, at, at our church last year, trying to face some of these things, I ran a home group called Issues Facing the Church Today. And um, we talked about a whole bunch of these kind of questions with just local people in a local Baptist church. And we didn't all agree, but to me, one of the things that was most helpful is we learned how to love each other through these conversations. We learned how to listen well. My fear is that if we step back from the conversation, we cede the voices to often the most polarizing ones on the side, and then our people get radicalized. But we as pastors and local leaders have a responsibility to steward those conversations in grounded communities rather than just virtue signaling online. Mm. 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 Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Fiona, do, do, yeah. is, this, is there a place for the local church? You're, you're part of a local church, local Baptist church. Is there a place for you? Yeah, so when I first introduced myself to you, I said, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not a Baptist by choice. <laughs> um, I, I, I've always felt like a square peg in a round hole. Now, but I had the real honor of going through a journey of being suicidal myself and of having a pastor who stood beside me the whole time. Mm. Um, but we're, it's interesting for what was said over there, because what I'd written down on my piece of paper, two things was, hope is the key. Hope is the key. We need to reframe what that hope looks like. We do. The other side of it is that we, as Christians, we have become very, very easy, and we've already said this, to come with the answer already in our head. It's like we've got this, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer, and we're not listening. We're waiting for the person to speak, and we say we're listening, we're like this. But our head keeps saying, Jesus is the answer. We need to actually really listen. There's a reason why the Bible says, for those who have ears, let him hear. We need to be listening with our hearts. With our hearts. The other thing that I would add to it is we need to realise something. I hear a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians, I, I walk in a lot of circles, tell me that the world's becoming more and more PC. I'll tell you something that's not true. Up until the 1970s, Māori and Pacifica and peoples of other colours in this country had to be PC every day. Their stories were not allowed to be spoken, heard or listened to. If we're going to come round a round table, we have to forget that there's such thing as political correctness. Jesus dealt with dirty stories. We have to allow stories to be really said at tables, not dismissed mm. with the word PC or a quick answer. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think the Holy Spirit constitutes the church, and so the church has a space because God has made it um, and constitutes it as that space. Um, I think it has a space when it can be present. So I think very often we see ourselves not as a part of our communities, but there's this big call to be present in our neighborhoods, uh, to actively believe that Christ is already at work. I've been constituted and united to you know, through the Holy Spirit into this church, but I've been united to Christ, and he's going to be actively at work. And from my experience, God is into the business of revealing himself, 
It's just whether you're going to be able to participate in part of naming who God is in your neighborhoods and actually being present. I think we focused a lot on an attractional model of getting people mm -hmm. in our buildings, which meant people didn't have to really take their neighborhood seriously, mm. didn't really have to take their workplace seriously. Um, I think there's a, a place for the local church when we actually are a present community, realizing we're already part of the community. Mm. We don't build it, we are part of it. Mm. Um, and we can name the work of God mm. in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... I'm sure there'll be, you know, a number of us sitting out there thinking about this, you know. Mm. What have we been talking about? You know, we've been, the earth we live in, creation, care, Greta, we, we talk about racial reconciliation, um, issues of justice. Is that, is that really what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is about? Do I really need to be spending my time focusing on these things? And Jenny sort of already answered this, but, but isn't, it, isn't it about, isn't it about um, personal salvation? Isn't, isn't that what we're about? Isn't it about getting people converted, baptized, and, and so they do go to heaven? Um, you, know, your, 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 you know, your sharp minds, how do you, you, know, how do you, how do you answer you know, that critique from a, a conservative old man like me? You know? <laughs> It's all about Jesus. <laughs> Colin, you're the theologian, aren't you? Come on. I'm the white man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, At least you're not aging. <laughs> yeah. Yet. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, you, know, uh, you know what I'm asking? Eh? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I understand that. And, yeah. um, and I hear that. And, and I also recognize for a lot of us here as pastors, it can feel a bit overwhelming. You're trying to manage your budgets. You've got people who are going through hard times. You now feel like you have to be an expert on creation, care, and reconciliation, and justice. That, like, no, yeah. legitimately, like, I don't want to minimize that. There are a lot of people here that will feel like, how do I manage one more thing? Um, but the thing is, this, this is the story of our scriptures. You know, like Colossians, Christ is reconciling, God is reconciling all things to himself in Christ. And all things includes the issues that are facing our day. You know, if, we, if we're not addressing the things that are causing pain, and hurting and scaring our people, then no wonder they think the church is irrelevant. If Jesus doesn't care about the things that are terrifying us, then what is the hope that he brings? And then like, to even push back on that further, like these are our scriptures. You know, as a church, we've been going through Revelation uh, this year. We've been preaching through from beginning to end. God help us, we're almost done. Um, but to me, one of the things that was most striking is, you know, John's writing to these churches, and he's writing to churches like Laodicea, which is embedded in the midst of the Roman Empire and doing quite well because of it. And then halfway through the book, rather than telling Laodicea to go out and make more converts, the big thing that it's challenging it to do is resist the beast. Resist the empire, which is this huge metaphor for Rome, imperial oppression. In Revelation 18, it talks about this huge economic and just network where Rome sucks up the resources from the entire world in a grand consumption. And John is challenging Laodicea to say, you are cozying up to that empire and you offer nothing to your city. You're neither hot nor cold, so I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. And so for us, these are our texts. John Revelation would speak to us again today saying, look, one of the key things that it means to witness to Christ is to stand apart from empire. In our standing away from empire, we point towards a different kingdom. This is our Bible, this is our scriptures, and we can either just try and preach a few that we're mm. comfortable with, mm. or we can try and deal with the breadth of it. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Colin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just, I 
totoko what you say about yeah. um yeah like i said before you know it's about the restoration the shalom of everything and yeah if you don't if your good news isn't speaking to people's pain, isn't speaking to historical pain that groups of people are still feeling the effects of, or the ongoing yeah. pain, yeah. then it's not as good news as what it could be. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. Sarah, how do you process yeah. these things? Um, so I, I spend quite a bit of time in, in social justice circles, and I'm uh, often asked who I am, and I say I'm a pastor. And all of a sudden, people think I'm going to debate that justice isn't that important. That's their assumption because of what they hear yeah. predominantly from the church. And so I, I think there's an invitation to surprise people um, yeah. and surprise them in, in delightful ways. So one of the, the ways I personally do it is um, I was meeting up with a UN lady who was convening a, a climate change talk, um, and she wanted to hear about some of my research and we were talking and um, I, I asked her where her passion for the environment came from. Um, and she was like, oh, I, I kind of don't know. I just always have been. And, and I said, I don't, I don't know anybody more passionate about the environment than Jesus Christ. Can I tell you about his passion for this world? Mm. Um, and, and I said to her, you know, there's the father who really loves the son. And the son really loves the father. And in, in the fellowship of the spirit, they have this amazing relationship. And the son... Um, came to earth and loved this earth. The son really loves this earth. And through taking humanity into himself, he includes us in this relationship with his father um, by the spirit. And he wants to see this earth, this earth flourish, and he's going to make it new. Hmm. And so there's a lack of hope, and I think we have something hopeful to give. Yeah. Ironically, I can use more theological language in those situations than I can in the church. So I, I think... We need to understand doctrine of the, tr uh, you know, the Trinity, uh, a doctrine of creation, because yeah. actually for us we go, ah, oh, that's just Christianese language. But because we're talking about people who are made in the image of God, if it's true theology, which is the study of God, it will actually resonate with people and they'll go, oh, I didn't know that language, but now I do. Mm. And so this lady said to me, I wish I met more Christians who could talk and affirm what God loves in the world. Mm. Um, and so I think there's hungry people who are actually quite anxious um, and something that meets their anxiety is actually hearing something that's mm. hopeful and good news, but it's grounded in this relationship yeah. they're included into. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, totally, what you said just now. And just another point to add, I think it's important for us to also know, you know, history and know that, you know, prior to the 19th century, evangelical Christians were all about social justice. So actually this kind of divide that it's only just about, like I say, hell insurance, mm -hmm. um, is actually, it's kind of a post-abolition um, sort of a, a thing that happens. So it's, it's really important that it is, it is our heritage as yeah. evangelical Christians to care about social yeah. justice issues. Thank yeah, thank you. Yeah. I've been um, under a bit of, um, our, our church has been under a bit of challenge for um, the last 12 months before our AGM. Every time we come into our service, there was a um, billboard, well not billboard, a, a sign that was lit up the back of the stage and it had the word kingdom upside down on the sign. And it was done intentionally from our pastor to, um, to really grapple with what is God calling the kingdom to be on this earth. This year, the sign, um, since July, the sign's changed to your will be done. Um, 
to, to answer your question, I, I challenge whether the gospel message is about personal salvation. And I might be excommunicated from the church for doing that. <laughs> but I, 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 read, I read a gospel of reconciliation of people, yeah. not persons. I, I have got no theological training whatsoever apart from an amazing Bible school that was run by a couple of people from our church. And I learned one thing that was really important. The word you in the Bible is actually plural. And we've been busy reading it as a singular word most of our life. Now, I'm only going to answer your question by just jumping off the back of this you know, the hell sort of insurance policy. When I was going through the depth of the depth of my own suicidality, I was questioning God because up until that point I felt like I had decades of a hellish life and I couldn't understand why my God would do that to me. And I felt challenged. I'm a PhD so I'm not going to use all the theories in that but I got challenged. I got challenged that I was using a philosophy that was an insurance towards hell. And I got told very much on my bed. If, if my gospel was about ensuring that you were to go to heaven straight away, you wouldn't be here on earth now. Mm. All of you. If the gospel was about just your personal salvation, there's no need for you to be here. I was then challenged that the gospel, the real intent of God's purpose for my life was to be there for others. And I understand that churches go through so much on a day-to-day basis. And I understand that the word thriving sometimes we pick up as an economic term. Mm. But I'd like to see churches thriving where broken people can Mm. go to. Mm. And that's where I stand. Thank you. I'd I'd love you to help us. Um, what, What would you suggest, what are some practical steps that we perhaps could take to ensure that we are well positioned for the future around the issues? I'd like you to, to, to get quite practical for us, quite helpful. You know, what might be areas we need to change, things we need to do? Sarah, do you want to start us off with, with that one? Yeah. I think there's a big call for um, imagination, um, and that actually we've had a constrained imagination for a really long time. And, and we need to have spaces of creative exploration. Um, I think that's, that's one of them. Um, Is that allowed? Are, are we allowed to be imaginative? <laughs> if I talk from my perspective, which is, I, I, I don't think so, because yeah. um, if we say something alternative, um, mm. often imagination requires being willing to see a vision as, as valid and worth trying. Mm. Whereas I think we're actually not willing to try something new um, because something might work for us or because it holds a space for us. And so it comes from a place of high, high threat. Um, whereas Paul often paints a picture of saying, how awesome is this? Like, come join in. You're missing out if you don't join in. And I think we need to do a little bit more of the painting of you're missing out if you don't join in. Mm. Um, you, can, you can be a part of this, but we've got to work through a lot of anxiety and a lot of people's feelings of threatenedness. So I, I get comments quite often, um, you know, in this movement mm. th- through questioning things. Mm. Um, mm. So I, I think we've got a high hostile environment. And so I think yep. one of the big changes is the self-awareness 
to hold our own reactions. Yeah. And I think if we can, um, there's a philosopher who says one of the world's, the world would change if people could just sit in a room with themselves and accept themselves and not need to um, have mm. their sense of significance mm. from anything else. And I think, I think that's one of the biggest things this is not what I was planning to say, but I think this is one of the things that we really need to be able to do is sit with ourselves, be okay with ourselves, and actually be okay with something that might require us to do something we've never done before. Mm. But because we know who we are, we, we're able to meet people halfway. Um, I think yeah, that would make you. a big difference. Thank you. Yeah. 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 yeah Fiona. <coughs> I'm going to go back into young people and what we can be doing. Mm. Um, the, the Baptist Youth Ministry's got um, a reputation for being one of the biggest youth ministries in New Zealand, as you know. But it's also got a reputation for losing a lot of young people when they become young adults. And I would, I would argue that's because we're not talking about the issues. And when we do, we still have that answer in our head straight up. Now, a really good book, because I know that people like books mm -hmm. to read, is Ethel, Di Ethel Dixon's The Gospel According to Moses. And it's about a, a, a person's journey. He's a Christian. He decides for a, a whole year he's not going to go to his regular home group. He's going to go to a Jewish um, equivalent and see how they grapple with the scriptures. And he said, it's really interesting. He's, a, he's an American Christian. He says, in, in the West, we grapple with the, with the Bible for answers. It's like we've been taught by Gideon with the Bible. You just have to have a question, and there's a verse to answer the question. Um, the, the Jewish people, the name Israel, remember, he who wrestles with God, they take that seriously. So they try to find contradictions in the Bible, and they try to wrestle with those contradictions and find the love of their father in those contradictions. So you know, no, you get young people that come to you with those contradictions and we have a quick fire answer. Mm. We don't actually have, let's sit down and wrestle. Let's sit down and wrestle. Or we get young people coming to us and saying, but they're telling me this. And we say, well, you must take that position. Mm. Yeah. No, we need to be a little bit more, less, mm. what, what was the term you used? Host, hostile? Or, or, yeah, mm. we, need, we need to actually just be more open with our ears. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Colin. Yeah, oh, totally. I mean, just as a, a super real example, to me, one of the most striking differences is that the youth hui that happened a couple of days ago. Yeah, youth hui people. <laughs> um, you know, one of the conversations that they're talking about is how do we deal with our trans youth, right? How do we deal with the trans youth in our communities? The reality is, I think we're not talking about that. We're the ones. So many of us have been theologically trained. We've gone to carry. We're not talking about it, and then we're just fobbing it off to our youth pastors would be like, I don't know, figure it out. And then we're like, I don't know, this is too hard. That's, I just don't think that's acceptable. That's just not, it's not acceptable. Um, so I guess for me, there's just a sense of like, let's engage. Let's ask those difficult questions together. As pastors, again, I want to acknowledge the huge mm. burdens that you carry and the weight that it might feel that you're now failing in another area. That is not what I want to communicate. And I'm, I don't mean it as a joke. I mean it seriously. This is not another area where you can just add shame onto your lives. That's not what this is about. What I want to encourage you is to step up and just do the thing that you love to do. Preach the gospel. Preach these texts, but not just a personal salvation. Go into Ephesians and talk about how Jews and Gentiles are being formed into a new humanity mm. and talk about racial reconciliation of Pakiaha and Maori. It's there in our texts. 
Go into Revelation 18, look at those economic and just systems and just present them to your community saying this is what God is asking us to do. You don't have to be experts. You don't have to fix every problem, but there are people in your community that you might spark their imagination and they can now run their businesses differently. They can teach at their schools differently. They've been given a gospel imagination to view the world differently and now they can live and work with Jesus in that area. Just engage them with scripture. Get in stuck in with the hard questions. And if you don't know the answer, say, I don't know. Let's read. Let's ask smart people like the panel, not me, the other people who studied, <laughs> their answers and listen. And I think if we just open up that space, we might find a whole lot of life coming up out of our community. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Jeannie, I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think to support what everyone has said um, and helping us develop a posture where we can start to ask those difficult questions and start to have a broader imagination. Um, it does come from first awareness, knowing what the issues are, knowing what your history is. So as far as the local church, what is the local history of your whenua? Who are the mana whenua of that area? What were the battles and things that have gone on, the pains, the hurts, the celebrations? Know that. Kamua, kamuri. We go forward by looking backward. So it's really important to know your history. The next thing also is to immerse yourself in places where you are not in the majority, particularly if you're mm. Pākehā. Mm. Immerse yourself in places yes. where you're yes. not the majority. Develop an empathy for voices on the yes. margins. How can you start to do that? Don't rush up to the first brown person you know and go and hug them. That's scary. <laughs> what you can do is you can, you can look at your bookshelf. Who are those authors that you're reading? Do they all look like you? <laughs> start to find authors, women of colour, other people of colour, develop this sort of hunger for knowing God in a sense that I will never know God fully unless I understand what is the indigenous perspective about God, unless I understand what is the Chinese perspective about knowing God. My understanding of God is going to be so poor. We need to develop that hunger that pushes us to go and seek out other perspectives, mm. to decolonize our bookshelf, if mm. you will. Mm. That's really important. Put yourself in, in, in environments, attend celebrations where you're not in the majority, where you're out of your comfort zone. Mm. Um, you know, and it's not so much that we need to go out and grab the answers and go and do stuff, but it's that posture of sitting and listening and letting those voices that we don't tend to hear be the ones guiding and leading, but not setting people up to fail, and not making other people do the work for us. We must do the mahi, we must do the work of learning our history, of being in spaces where we're uncomfortable, of reading, of listening to podcasts, um, of people who we don't mm, usually mm, hear. Mm. Because like I said before, if we're really honest that we are all equal before God, then we must be honest in, in you know, like who we listen to, who shapes our view. I mean, who here has watched a film with another person and the other person had a totally different perspective on the film to them, but it was the same movie that they watched? Who's experienced that? Mm. You know, and, and it's the same with our understanding of God. We seem to have this concept that, oh, there's a neutral understanding of God, but surprise, surprise, it's the Pākehā version. Mm. So we need to... <laughs> You know, like, we, we need to be comfortable with the fact that perhaps black liberation theology has something to teach us. Perhaps feminist theology has something to teach us. Perhaps indigenous theology. Not even perhaps. It does have something to teach us. That's the perspectives that we need to start to develop, the posture, the attitude that we need to start to develop. Okay, cool. And I, can I just say one more thing? Yeah. Honestly, I hope you're excited. I'm, I'm genuinely excited for the future of the church. 
Acknowledging that we have declining statistics, acknowledging that our money and our numbers might be going down, acknowledging that we may be going, God might be leading us full on into a desert, I'm stoked. You want to know why? Because the church and the people of God have always thrived when God took us away from Egypt. When God takes us away from our idols, when it takes us away from security, and he leads us into an unknown place where we have no idea what we're doing, then God shows up. And that's what we want, right? That's what we all want is God's presence to flood in our communities. And I think God's leading us into the desert. And thank God for it because I think we might find something new and exciting there. So look forward with excitement at what God is doing. Our money might not be there the same way we want it to. We might not be able to run all the great events that we used to. But I think he might bring fruitfulness in life and faithfulness to our church. Mm. I think this huge opportunity. Don't be discouraged. Look with excitement towards the future. Mm. Cool. Thank you. Well, I think think you guys have answered my last question. Do I need to go there? Sarah, do I need to go there? Uh, I was going to add one thing if you're missing that last question, which is around your position as a white. Yeah, well, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so no, no, can I just can I read them the email that I got like, yeah. two weeks ago? Um, I was not overly happy with your appointment. I figured that the last thing we needed right now was another slightly aging white guy with a conservative background. <laughs> Welcome to the life of a national leader. <laughs> but 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 I, I think I agree with them. I mean, there's look, you know, there's look, a lot of us out there. <laughs> <laughs> to be called slightly aging, that was a hard part, slightly aging. <laughs> that was hard. Right? But, but I've got to listen. I, I've got to listen. Because I, I, I was going to ask the panel, what have I got to do? My response and it, is, call wai kwe. Call wai kwe. Call wai kwe. Who are you? Call wai ao. Who am I? You see, we all have a position in God's kingdom, no matter who we are, but we need to stop seeing ourselves in the mirror in that one-dimensional thing and actually challenge ourselves. You know, the Baptist Church is known as a predominantly white conservative church. It's known as it. That's a reputation. We know it's not even when we look in this room. Mm. But believe it or not, there's a myth that we've also fed ourselves that we need to start to challenge, and that is Pākehā do not have a culture. Because every time we do that, we belittle other cultures and we belittle ourselves. We need to know our story deeply. That will give us to Rangawaiwai a place to stand. And it means, and I can say this, it's my own personal journey mm. for myself. Once I found my story, once I found I was connected to convict ships, to soldiers, to the Wakefield settlements, I felt like I was part of the treaty. And I could walk on this whenua and I could actually go and say, mm. let's have a relationship. Mm. Mm. Cool. Cool. Okay. What are you going to do different as a result of the last hour? You know, we're, we're, yeah, I mean, I, I love this, what I love about being Baptist, isn't it? You know, you've already got me thinking, hmm, thriving communities of faith. Do I really want to use that word thrive? <laughs> but, 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 you know, we're, we're talking about thriving faith communities. You know what I mean. And we have to position ourselves, I think, um, if we are going to grow good disciples, if we're going to be robust leaders, if we're going to be effective mission, we've got, to, we've got to position ourselves around, we've got to grapple with the issues of the day. What are you going to do differently in your leadership as a result of the last hour? How did 
did you get here? Did the Baptist NZ app have anything to do with it? Because that's where the gospel renewal stories shared by our faith communities are at. In the midst of more, Baptist NZ on App Store and Google Play.